If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 25. Today we'll be looking at Acts chapter 25 and 26. Uh, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson. I serve as a pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So really grateful to be with you and also having a chance just to hear all the different stories of how the Spirit is moving powerfully uh, within this church. You know, believe it or not, today we are nearing the end of our sermon series in the book of Acts. We started this series back on February 7th, all right? And in two more weeks, we will be finished. And just to remind you, the reason we started on this series is because we want to remind the church that in moments of crisis, like a pandemic, uh, we wanted to make sure that we remember that the church does not retreat, but the church engages and proclaims Jesus. That it's in the book of Acts, we see that when the church is most challenged, it flourishes, it becomes a gospel movement. You know, if you're part of Pastor Rafe's email, you guys have seen what, what's happening this, this, this past week, how you guys are heading out to the loop and praying and evangelizing, your engagement with Bread of, Bread of Life and the homeless ministry, your adoption ministry that you guys have here. So really incredible things. So all this to say is that I've been very grateful for the book of Acts because it has pushed us these last 10 months on gospel mission. But if I can also be transparent with you, I have not always felt grateful that there are some weeks that I found the sermon series just a tad bit burdensome, okay? And I'm the guy who's preaching, so I'm feeling this way because almost every sermon is almost the same application. Step out of your comfort zone. Make much of Jesus with everyone around you. You might get persecuted for your faith, and there are a lot of times that I saw myself throughout the week saying, I have to share the gospel. I have to, I have to, I have to. This is what a good Christian soldier does. You know, have you ever felt that way? You know, I bring this up because if anybody would have felt this sense of obligation, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But what we see in our verses today from Acts 26 is that Paul did not see his sharing of the gospel as a job, but he saw it as a joy. You know, once again, we see Paul on trial, and now he stands before King Agrippa for his defense. And this is what Paul says. Chapter 26, verse 1. Look at this with me. And Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am standing. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Paul considered himself fortunate to share the gospel with him. Why? Why is that the case? I think we've seen Paul long enough to know why. It's because he lived with a kingdom priority. That at the end of him sharing his testimony, King Agrippa now figures out what Paul's been trying to do. Verse 28, chapter 26. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, verse 29, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. King Agrippa says, whoa, 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 as Paul sharing his testimony. Are you trying to convert me? And Paul says, Ah, oh, you got me. Call me red-handed. Guess what? But not just you, but also for everyone else who, who is hearing me right now. Paul was living with a kingdom priority. He lived to see others know Jesus. And because of this, even though he was in chains, he felt fortunate because the gospel was still moving forward. Let me ask you, 
Do you, do we share the same longing for people to know the gospel of Jesus? Because if we don't, it's always going to feel like an obligation. But if we long for others to know God's love, every interaction, every circumstance will feel like an opportunity. But here's the thing, it has to be a priority because when it is not a priority, we will not be sensitive to opportunities and we will miss it. Let me just share one of the biggest misses in my life. So back in college, I played for the men's volleyball club team. And there was one day we had a tournament in Reno, Nevada. And one of our teammates, I came back into the room, and he is just sobbing in the bathroom, uncontrollably. He's just like sobbing like a baby. And I found out that his girlfriend just broke up with him. So here you have like 10 other guys who are like, I don't know what to do with this. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, Stinks to be him, stinks to be him. And I kind of just went on with my day here, and it wasn't until later that evening, I thought to myself, huh, maybe I should have shared the gospel with him in that moment. Maybe I should have done that. And then that next morning when I saw, his name is Terrence, when I saw Terrence, I tried to reach out to him, but by that point, he'd already gotten back with his girlfriend, so he was all giddy, you know what I mean? That, that's college romances, that's just how it works, right? So I totally missed it. It's like slow pitch like softball. You're not supposed to strike out. You know, that stuff shouldn't happen, but that's what happened. I totally missed it. Church, there are opportunities all around us to share, but we will only see it when it is a priority. And when it becomes a priority, sharing the gospel will will be I want to and not I have to because our goals and values have lined up with God's heart. So with that, let me just unpack our verses and show you why Paul felt so fortunate. Okay, let me just unpack the story here. So Paul is in the city of Jerusalem here, and this is the place where he was certain that the Holy Spirit was leading him towards, and he knew that this place would be a place of affliction and imprisonment, and once he arrives, that's exactly what happens. He is facing persecution. He is dealing with lies from the Jewish crowds and leaders, saying that Paul is defiling the temple. You know, he's, he's disrespecting the law of God. And Moses. So the mobs, they lose their minds. They're beating the mess out of Paul. And to keep the peace, the Roman guards have to rescue him. Now, to appease the Jewish crowds, they begin to flog Paul. But Paul has an ace up his sleeve. Right before they do so, he says to the centurion, Is it lawful to flog a Roman citizen without a fair trial? Whoa, all of a sudden, everyone had to take a pause here saying, Paul, you're a citizen? Yeah, not only a citizen, I'm a citizen by birth. And if you were to treat a Roman citizen poorly, if you were to lay a finger on them unjustly, the wrath of the Roman Empire would fall upon you. So all of a sudden, they stopped everything, and they sent Paul up the chain of command to Governor Felix. But here's the problem. Governor Felix can't find anything wrong with Paul. So what does a good leader do here? He punts the problem to someone else and keeps Paul in prison for two years. He sits in prison for two years and a new governor takes over. Governor Festus. Acts chapter 24 verse 27, if you want to see that transitional moment. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison, okay? So Festus is now the new governor, and now he's stuck with this problem. 
And he knows that Paul is asked to stand before Caesar Nero for a trial. This was the right of every Roman citizen. But the problem, once again, is that Festus has no idea what charges to write up. None of the accusations are sticking against Paul. And Festus can't just send him up to Caesar without a reason. So Festus, what does he do? He goes to King Agrippa for help. Why? Why? Okay, first off, Festus was a Gentile. So he had no working understanding of Jewish theology and custom and politics. But King Agrippa, whose family has lived for generations in Judea, could potentially help because he was familiar with all the Jewish customs. He had a Jewish background. Now, who is this Agrippa? This would be King Agrippa or Herod Agrippa II. And his dad would have been Herod Agrippa I. Yes, that's how those things work, right? Would have been the first. And he was a guy... King Herod Agrippa I, he would have been the guy who would have had James the Apostle beheaded in Acts chapter 12. His uncle was Herod Antipas, and he had John the Baptist beheaded and put on a platter. And his great-granddad was Herod the Great, who killed all the babies in Bethlehem because of the threat of, of Jesus' birth. So this is the Herodian dynasty that Paul is now standing in front of. So King Agrippa would have known a lot about Jewish, about Jesus of Nazareth. He would have known about the spread of Christianity. He would have known Jewish laws and background. Chapter 25, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So picture this here. King Agrippa comes in, and this is a big show. The word pomp in the Greek literally means fantasy, okay? This is like a big parade that's coming in. And as he comes in, it's all the city officials, all the Roman guards and soldiers, the who's who's of society would have been in that hall. And then you have Paul walking out in prison clothes and chains, standing in the center of the cultural elites of that time. Chapter 25, verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about, the, about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer, but I found that he, did, he has done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him Verse 26, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Okay, so that's the situation. Festus doesn't know what to write. He doesn't get what all the commotion is all about. 26 verse 1, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And what Paul does over and over again is that his defense is his testimony. Now, we've already covered this before in previous sermons, so we won't go into his testimony again. But you can clearly see the same outline and flow that he uses. And let me just show it to you here. In verses 4 to 11, he shares his life 
before Christ. Verses 4 to 11, that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, passionate about the law of Moses, and he killed Christians. Chapter 26, verse 11. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Okay, this is his life before Christ. Then we have verses 12 to 18, and this is Paul's conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus, verses 12 to 18. And this is also where God gives him, Paul, a new calling on his life. That Jesus says to Paul in verse 18, to open their eyes, Jews and Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, the whole world is blind and in spiritual darkness and unable to see the beauty of Christ. The whole world is under the authority of Satan. The whole world is under condemnation and unforgiven. And Jesus says to Paul, I am sending you to change that. Church, Jesus says the same to us. I am sending you to change that. You know, the third part of Paul's testimony is in verses 19 to 23. He now shares about his life now in Christ, his life now in Christ, that he has obeyed God. He has gone and made disciples, and because of his obedience, he is now in chains. And then finally, for the last part of his testimony, and one that we often miss is that after he shares his testimony, he invites others to believe in the same Savior. Verses 27 to 29. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Once again, he's appealing to hear Agrippa's Jewish background. Surely you must believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short, short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Notice that Paul doesn't leave this conversation open-ended. He is clear, direct. King Agrippa, do you believe this? Notice that even after two years in prison, Paul was ready. He was ready and he was sensitive to the opportunity. And he felt fortunate. So this is the story arc of Acts chapter 25 to 26. So let's ask this question. What can we learn here about why Paul felt so fortunate in sharing the gospel? Okay, let me just give you three. Here's the first. Paul felt fortunate to share the gospel because he knew that God was in control. Okay, let me explain what's going on here. So sitting two years in prison... It's safe to assume that amongst that time, Paul must have, must, must have asked God, God, uh, what are you doing? You know, you know, like, okay, it's been a week. Okay, it's been a month. It's been three months. It's been six months. It's been a year. It's been a year and a half. Uh, God, what are you doing? Because Paul knew back in chapter 23, verse 11, that God was calling him to two places, to Jerusalem and to Rome. Okay, fine. He's in Jerusalem. He's been locked up. He's done this. But how in the world is he supposed to get to Rome? And the longer he sits in this prison, the more he must be thinking, 
this is looking pretty unlikely. Maybe he's going to send someone else. Maybe it's not going to be me. But, but what's going to be happening here, right? But then this is what happens. Paul speaks to Felix and then to Festus. And he says that, you know what? I'm not really trusting all, all, all the trials that are going on here. I don't trust what's happening here in Jerusalem. I want to take my case up to Caesar. And for two years, it's kind of like in limbo. And then Festus says to Paul, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Friends, where does Caesar reside? Rome. And can you just begin to imagine, all the pieces were starting to connect for Paul. Oh, this is why I was arrested Oh, this is why I've moved up the court system. This is why I'm wearing the chains. This is the very way God is going to get me to Rome. As a matter of fact, the Roman government, government will pay his way to go to Rome. They will feed him. They will protect him along the way. This is one of the reasons why Paul felt so fortunate, because he knew that all that was happening to him was not an accident. He saw how God was sovereignly moving the pieces around in his life, that he was bringing about circumstances into his life, even uncomfortable ones, so that God can have him exactly where he needs him to be and to bring glory to God. That even in unjust and evil situations that was happening to Paul, God was using it. This is why Paul could turn his trial into his testimony and be, be, because he knew that everything in his life was not an accident, but it was an opportunity to be a witness. And if I can just say the same thing to us, our trials too can be a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness if we allow it. But here's the thing. In order for that to happen, we have to stop fighting God in our trials. We got to stop fighting and saying, Lord, this isn't fair. Why do I have to suffer so much? Why do I have to sit in jail? You know, uh, you know are you even loving? Your trials will become a testimony when you stop fighting against God, when you stop getting mad against God for your problems, and instead you surrender yourself to God and you ask him, please show me what are you trying to accomplish through me through this trial. If anyone had reason to be bitter and frustrated, it was Paul, but he wasn't. Chapter 26, verse 2, I feel so fortunate. Because even though I'm in physical chains, I know that I am not in spiritual chains. That Christ has freed me from the chains of sin, death, and Satan. Instead, it is Festus and Agrippa who are in spiritual bondage. They are the ones who needed to be set free. And Paul knew that him standing in the middle of that room, Festus and Agrippa were not sent for him. Paul was sent for their sake. Whatever trial you're going through, it can become a testimony if you stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on Jesus. Stop talking about your problems and start talking about his grace, his goodness, and his love. There are opportunities all around us if we look for it, even in our trials. Paul felt fortunate to share because he knew 
that his God was sovereign and in control. He was in God's plan. He knew it. Another reason Paul feels fortunate is because he had nothing to hide. Here's the second one. He felt fortunate because he had nothing to hide. Now, once again, put yourself in Paul's place here. Would you feel fortunate if people just kept cross-examining your life over and over and over again? That the lawyers would come into your life, the public officials would come into your life, and they would nitpick at everything in your life, not trying to prove your innocence. They're going to try to prove that you're guilty. I think for many of us, we would not feel fortunate. For example, if someone came into your life right now and said, hey, you know what? I want to see your bank statements. Pull them out. Hey, give me your phone right now. I want to see your browsing history. Hey, take out your calendar. I want to see what you're spending all your time doing. Many of us would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You better back off. Okay, you better back off. I'm not going to show you any of those things. But for Paul, he had no issues with this. Felix, examine my life. Festus, examine my life. Agrippa, examine my life. Because when you do, all you're going to see is Jesus. That's all you're going to see. For Paul, there was no area of his life that wasn't ruled by Jesus. And because of that, he felt so fortunate because the more they kept digging into his life, the more they kept going and digging and asking and asking, all they're going to see is Jesus. You know, I love what Paul says after Festus cuts him off in, in, in his testimony, okay? Acts chapter 26 Verse 24, and as he, Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus, with a loud voice, says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Verse 25, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, King Agrippa, knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Friends, did you know that Christianity is not done in a corner? Did you know that? Christianity is not a game of hide-and-go-seek. It is bold and it is clear. And this is what Paul is saying. Festus, okay, fine. You might not know what's going on here, but King Agrippa, oh, he knows what's been happening. He's heard the miracles. He's heard the teachings. He knows about the empty tomb. He knows that Jesus has rose again and showed up to hundreds of people. He has seen, he has seen all the transformed lives. And people today are still talking about these things because at this moment of this trial, it's only been 20 years since Jesus died and rose again. So there are still countless eyewitnesses who are still alive, who can give proof to everything that they saw, that Christianity is true. Festus, you're calling me mad? No, I'm the most reasonable person in this room because I am dealing with reality. Jesus is alive. And notice Agrippa here. He never joins with Festus and call Paul crazy. He never says that. As a matter of fact, at the very end, Agrippa says that Paul is completely innocent. Acts 26, verse 32, the last verse. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. 
Agrippa knows Paul doesn't belong in prison. Paul is not nuts. Christianity was not done in a corner. Its message and deeds were clear for all to see. In the same way, our faith should not be done in a corner. As Christ followers, there should be no aspect of our lives that, are, that is not ruled by Jesus, that he is the ruler of my wallet, my possessions, my time, my work, my family. All of it points to Jesus. And friends, let me just say that if we lived our life this way, every day we would be aching for folks to notice our lives. We would be aching every day to say, please, please, please examine my life. Notice my life because all you're going to see is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be careful here because it can sound like what I'm saying is be morally perfect, don't have any mess in your life, and when that happens, you can go ahead and share, okay? That is not what I'm saying. First off, if we wait till we're morally perfect, we will never share. The goal for Christ followers is not perfect lives, but credible lives, that we show a life that strives and pursues Jesus, and when you stumble, you own it, and you keep following. If you wait till you're perfect, you will never share, and Satan would love that. Don't buy into the lie that just because you're not a perfect example that you can't be effective in sharing the gospel with others. As a matter of fact, sometimes the brightest billboards of God's grace is not shown through our strengths, but through our weaknesses. That for some of us here, our marriages are not easy. We're struggling with addictions. We're falling back into sinful patterns. What we need to do in those moments is confess to God, invite mature believers to support us, and also invite those who don't believe in God to join us in our journey. Because guess what? As you're wrestling with doubts, they're wrestling with the very same ones you have. Show that even in your struggles, you love Jesus and that he's enough. Do you see? In good times and bad times, justices and injustices, promotions and demotions, it's all an opportunity to show off Christ. Do not put your faith in a corner. Paul felt fortunate to share because all of his life, past, present, and future, pointed to Christ. He had nothing to hide. And finally, the last point here. The reason Paul felt fortunate to share to others was because he prayed for the lost. He prayed for the lost. Chapter 26, verse 28 to 29, again. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me to stay might be as I am except for these changed. I would to God. You know, other ways to say this phrase is that I go to God, or the NIV translation says, I pray to God. Now, there's numerous things I love about this. First, Paul doesn't pray for harm for his oppressors. He prays for their salvation. He doesn't, he doesn't see them as enemies to be conquered, but people to serve and love. And secondly, the reason Paul felt fortunate in sharing the gospel is because he prayed for it. 
And when God provided that opportunity to share, he saw it as an answered prayer. He didn't see it as, oh, responsibility. Oh, man, an awkward situation. Oh, man, I don't want to do this. No, when the opportunity happened, he saw it as an answered prayer because he's been praying for it. And friends, anytime when you pray a prayer to God and God answers it, isn't that what happens? You feel fortunate. You feel so undeserving. Wow, God, thank you for answering that prayer. It's when you pray for the lost, also, keep this in mind, your heart will also grow soft. You'll become more sensitive to their spiritual condition. And you'll begin to look for opportunities to share because as you're praying, you're constantly putting them on the forefront of your mind. So here's the question for you. Are you praying for the lost in your life? You know, I think the sobering reality is that some of us would say, that we don't pray for the lost as much as we should. And I know that none of us would say, I don't care about those who are spiritually lost. But friends, when you look at your priorities and calendars, is it proving differently? Is it saying something else? Have, you, have we allowed the busyness of life to push the great commission out of our lives? Has it pushed out spending intentional time with those who don't know Jesus? Has it pushed prayer out of your life? Is it any wonder why so many of us have not shared our faith in months and maybe even years? It's because we are not praying. And if we're not praying for it, we're not going to be looking for the opportunities for it. Even if it's as clear as someone sobbing and crying in the bathroom. If we want to be a church that has a heart that grows and longs for the lost, we must pray. You know, a simple way to do this, if I can say this, is in your small groups. You know, at the end of every study, just ask the question, hey, we've learned a lot here today. What truths about God can we share with others in our lives? And this can naturally lead to times of prayer for those who are lost. Or another thing that you can do is simply ask those who don't know Jesus in your life, how can I pray for you? Have you done that before? You should try it. It's really impressive. Now, some of us might already think, oh, you know what? They're not going to be interested or you're going to say no way. Can I just share with you, in my overall experience, 99% of the time, every time I've offered an unbeliever an opportunity where I want to pray for them, they have never, ever said no to me. When I have meals with my non-Christian friends, I say grace for the meal, and I thank God for their friendship. And they were like, their jaws dropped. They don't even know what to say to me. They're like, no one's ever prayed for me like that. And there's many times where if I know friends are struggling, or when the pandemic was at fever pitch, or when I know that a promotion or a job opportunity, or one of their kids is sick, or whatever God brings to mind, I text them and I just let them know, hey, I want to let you know that I prayed for you. And it means a lot to them. And when the time's right, I also share a Bible verse with them that fits the moment. And prayer often ends up being a way where I can continue the spiritual conversation. Do you see how this all works here? This is not rocket science, but it does take a level of boldness to do this. Let me just close with this story here. You know, my grandfather has been really ill lately for the last two weeks. Uh, and when I got to his house this past week, emotions were very high in the house you know, my grandfather was talking about giving up on life and just, you know, and just, and just get the gravesite ready. You know, I'm just done living. So you can just imagine that in our house, it was, it was really, really tense. So I knew that I had to make the most of this opportunity because I really don't know how much more time I have with him. So I grabbed a, a handful of gospel tracts that were in Chinese and I went over to my grandfather and held his hand and I said to him in Chinese that God 
loves you. But here's the problem. My grandfather is almost deaf. He can't hear anything. So I had to say it again, but shout it for the whole house to hear. Yeah, so oi nay. Okay, that's in, that's in Chinese. And I had to scream. Everyone's like, what is going on right now? Right, but I wanted my grandfather to hear that. And then for the first time, you know, it ever happened, I told my grandfather as well that I want to pray for you. And I was a bit nervous because this was a man who has lived his entire life, 96 years, uh, completely apart from God and prided himself on being an independent. So I screamed again, holding his hand for everyone to hear, okay, which means I want to pray with you, okay? And he said, okay. He said, okay. And I prayed for him. And the cool thing is not only did my grandfather hear the prayer, but so did my grandmother, my uncles, my aunts, my dads, my kids. Everyone heard of God's love and power. You know, my grandfather is still in the ICU, so I would really appreciate continual prayers for him. But friends, I share this with you because as I held my grandfather's hand, it was not an obligation. It was an opportunity. It wasn't I have to. It was I want to. Do you know why? Because ever since I knew Christ as a 16-year-old, I've been praying for him. And God opened that door. It was an answered prayer. Church, do you long for the lost to know Jesus? There are opportunities all around us if we're just willing to look for them. Let's bow our heads and pray. You know, before I pray for us, I'd love to just give you a few moments where you're at, that maybe as I'm talking about praying for the lost, that someone comes to mind, would you just in this moment just, just pray for them? Just ask God that he would open their eyes to see his beauty, that wherever they're at right now, that God would stir in their hearts, that he would use you or anyone else in their lives to bring the gospel. Let's just spend a few moments to do that. Father God, we love you. And we thank you that when your son went to the cross, it says that for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, that he endured. God, I pray that the same would be true for us. That God, that you would help us, Lord, to be able to see all the opportunities that are in front of us in God and not be able to see them as burdensome, but to see the incredible privilege that you have redeemed us, You've adopted us, and God, you have sent us, God. There is no greater calling anyone can have in their lives than to live for you and to proclaim you. So, Father, help us as a church to do that. Father, help us to do that through adoption, Lord, through, through safe families, Lord, through fostering, Lord, through those ways. And God, help us to do it in all the different ways. That, Father, in the different workplaces and schools and neighborhoods that we live in, none of it is by accident. God, you are sovereign. You are in control. God, you have called us to go. So, Father, help us not to live our faith in the corner but to be bold and to be clear and to share the goodness of who you are. And Father God, if there's anyone in this room here today who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, Father, would you do a work within their hearts where they cannot resist you anymore, where they can't deflect the questions anymore about who Jesus is in their life, but today would they bow the knee 
and call you Lord and Savior. God, would you call them to yourself now? It's in Christ's name we pray.